I'm Nancy Adair, the host of LTGW, where we explore the stories from the dark and the light side of both addiction and recovery. Our show is currently free to listen to and it's advertisement free. Therefore, we're relying on your support to keep bringing you these powerful stories. Do you suppose we'll hear stories about addiction? We might. Oh. Stories about recovery, too? Mm, but mostly stories about how addiction turns smart, sensitive people into liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Liars? And thieves? And gluttons and whores. Oh, liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my. Liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my. Liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You are on the air with me, Nancy Adair, the host and creator of Liars, Thieves, Gluttons, and Whores, the podcast that brings you stories from both the dark side and the light side of addiction and recovery. Each week, I, Nancy, and sometimes uh, co-hosting with my brother, Bob, bring you stories from addiction, topics on addiction, we, I do all the interviewing, but I interview people who are in a recovery journey themselves and also experts in the field of addiction, many of whom are both and, you know, they're recovering addicts and they've found a way to give back in their community. Um, so that is the, the story of my guest today, Kathy Moser. Did I pronounce your name right? All right, Kathy said, yes, I have, which is great. And she is a musician. She's in recovery 26 years, I believe, clean and sober. And she works to help addicts find the tool of music in their recovery as a, as a way of healing from, I imagine, from past trauma and also to um, channel the gifts of recovery and well, we'll learn a lot more as we talk with Kathy. So welcome, Kathy. Thanks for being here today. Thanks so much for having me, Nancy. I'm thrilled to be here. And um, I see, I mean, I, our listeners don't see us, um, but I see you have a guitar in hand. And I know that you're going to sing a song and play a song about addiction and recovery about the dark and the light. Um, do you want to start with that? Or is it more something we'll we'll get into as we go along? I work for you. That's completely your call. It might be. I really I'm not sure. Um, All right. All right. So so let's give a little bit of background first. Um, how young were you when you started using and what were some of the early onset substances? Uh, well, I actually kind of know exactly where that all happened. I was about 14 and there was a violent fight in my household, which was not uncommon. And I went down the street to a party and I was hysterical and somebody took me outside and got me high for the first time that I actually got really got high. My brother had actually given me drugs once before, but it didn't, it didn't have an effect that first time. Um, and it just put like a couple inches of space between me and what was happening in my life that I felt like I had no control over. And um, 
the violence in the home. And uh, that's pretty much the story of my addiction. You know, um, I think another thing I would like to say about like the work I do and, and my passion for it is that the people who introduced me to music also introduced me to drugs. And um, I sometimes wonder what would have happened if the people who introduced me to music had not also introduced me to drugs and it hadn't felt like one thing. Um, so I was mostly smoking pot at that time. That was what was available. I'm super grateful that, that some of the things that are available now were not available then. Um, so yeah, I just basically used drugs for 20 years actually um, to try and cope with emotional stuff that I didn't know how to deal with. You know, I just was listening to someone else's podcast the other day and uh, the guest had started using in their late 20s and I realized that I stopped at 24. <laughs> and I used to say that I'd used enough I drank enough alcohol for a lifetime before I was 24. And I really do believe that. So, so you too started young at 14 years old. Yeah. Yep. And it is sad to think that the music was introduced along with the substances, um, particularly pot and how often that is true. I, I, my heart goes out to, I'm, I'm kind of impressed or very respectful of musicians who play out and don't drink or use. Well, hold on. Let me just say right here, I'm passionate about this. It's a complete destructive and incorrect myth in our culture that drugs and alcohol are beneficial to creativity. It's just not true. There may be times that you have to renegotiate how you get into that creative space, but the creativity does not reside in the substances. And the ability to execute and show up and write well and tell the truth and be consistently, um, you know, to be able to like show up at your gig every time and to be able to perform um, and to be able to play your instrument well and remember all your equipment, um, not just artistically, but the ability to actually execute your artistic vision is like so much easier in recovery. And so... Yes, it is true that performing and traveling and all that stuff is exhausting and requires a way higher conscious level of self-care, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. But I'll tell you what, if I wasn't sober, I like I don't have a quote unquote job, right? I created music for recovery and that's my job now. And um, I created it out of nothing and my ability to have a plan and, and have a strategy and and go after it and follow through with everything is completely a function of my recovery. Um, but also my voice, right? My ability to sing day after day is, is cause I'm not getting high and you know, I'm taking care of myself. So sorry to jump in strongly there, but, um, Oh, I'm, it's way easier glad. to tour. <laughs> yeah. It's way easier to tour and record and perform and write and, and all of that stuff in, in recovery than it is in, uh, when you're using now i didn't know that and i will tell you there's definitely a lot of songs i i wrote some great songs when i was high um but there i don't know where they are um because they're on <laughs> tapes that are labeled like thursday night at joe's house um so the ability to like organize and manage and track all that stuff is um yeah and not to mention you know it's we're still having it like i i work with a lot of young people so there's some artists recently like little peep and juice world who were tremendously important to young people who od'd like before the age of 23. um you know you gotta wonder like what would those artists have been like you know what would hendrix have been like if he had another 20 years um what would janice joplin have been like you know um what would amy winehouse have been like 
you know? So yeah, I, I just, I just want to just put it out there very strongly. Recovery is great for creativity and also creativity is great for recovery. And that's another thing I'm passionate about is if you are a creative person, you already have a lot of skills like being open-minded, allowing gradual progress, uh, repetition, being relaxed about making mistakes that are also really, really good for taking your creativity and using that to serve your recovery. Because when I got clean, someone who really cared about me, I knew a lot about recovery, said to me, if you want to stay clean and sober, you probably need to stop playing music. And I was like, oh, no, if I stop playing music, like, I don't care if I'm clean and sober. I don't care anything, actually. Um, so not only is recovery good for creativity, but creativity is good for recovery. You know, and I, I so believe that that is a, also a passion of mine is um, creativity and recovery, but recovery for creativity. I love it. I love the message. I think it's very, very strong message. And I'm a graphic artist, you know, not a singer songwriter. Like I scare myself if I sing in the shower. Literally, <laughs> uh, I love to sing and I do sing. Um, and the real talent that I have is for drawing and I do fiber arts. And I one time saw a therapist when I was fairly young um, in my twenties, I might have been sober from alcohol. I certainly was still involved in the food addiction that has been a primary addiction in my life. And I was telling him that I, when I, was drawing, I would feel so bad about the drawing or get down on myself that I'd turn and binge eat. And this therapist suggested that I keep a um, pictorial journal and that when I wanted to eat, instead of drawing and abandoning the drawing to eat, when I wanted to eat, pick up the pencil, the pen and draw. And I remember I only made one drawing in that entire journal, and it was of a long banquet table with all these candles, um, with all these cakes alit with candles, their birthday cakes. And there was a princess at one end of the long table, and the caption read, the princess invited 13 little girls to her birthday party, None could come, but they all sent cake. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like oh. your songs on those Friday night at Joe's, you know, a party at Joe's. I I don't know where that journal is any longer, but I've never forgotten the image. And it was only that one image, but it was a real, real storytelling moment of truth that, you know, I didn't feel connected and uh, my way of escaping the pain of not having connection was food. And today recovery is all about connection. And like you said, it gives you the, the way to maintain focus and things that might come less naturally for the um, creative. And yet, even like ADHD, there are uh, gifts of the more intuitive, the more creative, the more spontaneous, the more risk-taking, all these 
attributes that can be both, but in balance are great things. So definitely. And congratulations for being in business for yourself and making it work. I'm really glad that that is your primary, you know, income producer and that it's, it's happening. You know what is interesting is definitely another artist in recovery who helped me is uh, Julia Cameron has a book called The Artist's Way. And to anyone who is in recovery who wants to build on their creativity, I, that book is the reason I don't have a day job. Um, it just really inspired me and helped me build a gradual a gradual transition over to doing this. And um, so, yeah. And plus, it's also really, really fun and, and it works. Like we've done over 850 songwriting workshops and treatment centers. And um, the songs we've created have been streamed over 52,000 times. And we've helped so many people um, be able to express things in music that they're not able to express in talk therapy. Um, and also discover a lot of great skills and develop sober hobbies and, and have fun and learn how to speak up for themselves and communicate more effectively through rehearsal and performance. And, um, oh, it's really, really fun. Um, so I, sometimes I say I have the trifecta. I get to be myself, be of service, get paid all at the same time. So yeah, it's a good deal. It's a very good deal. All right. What was the pinnacle moment that straw that broke the camel's back that made you decide, uh, I really have to stop smoking weed, stop drinking, stop doing whatever else you might have been doing at the time? Well, I actually, I, I'd been trying to stop and I got this opportunity to um, run a recording studio program at a summer camp for uh, inner city kids that it's called Life Camp and it's out here in, in uh, Bedminster, New Jersey. And I got this opportunity um, to create a recording studio music program for them. And I was sure that they would drug test me. And this was like, you know, 27 years ago. Um, and it was the thing that I wasn't willing to lose. I was not willing to lose that opportunity to a failed drug test. Um, and I was also suicidal. I was, I mean, I was in a bad way. Um, oh, the only uh, thing Kathy? I can say about my story, story Kathy, yes. I want to ask you again, because you just froze up there. So just go back that. Uh, oh. Yeah, I, I thought it was maybe a internet delay. <laughs> so you were saying it okay, was. Okay, sorry the, about that. It's the one thing that you didn't want to lose was that job opportunity. I was not willing to lose that job opportunity to a failed drug test. And I was sure they would drug test me. They actually didn't, as it turns out because it was 27 years ago, but that was the thing. And I had been trying to get clean because I had been suicidal and I was just, you know, I had nothing to show for myself. I couldn't do the things I wanted to do. Um, and I couldn't deal with my emotions. So um, I, it was really, it was this like life camp doing this recording studio program for inner city kids um, that I was like, yeah, I need to get help and I need to be able to stick and stay. Um, so that's the point at which I did get help. Um, I actually kept drinking for a year. I'd just like to say something briefly about that. Is that like for me, alcohol was never a problem as long as I was doing drugs. So I really thought I'm definitely not an alcoholic. Um, but once I stopped doing drugs, then it took about a year to go, oh, actually, that's going to become the same thing. Um, so, yeah, that's was a, that was it. And I would, you know, you had talked about the darkness. I would just like to say, like, I had an incredibly messy, awkward, painful 
um, difficult first year. My first year in recovery was way worse than my last year using because I could feel everything. But that's why are the connections so important. I just, there were all these women who were willing to help me, who were willing to take my panicked phone calls. Um, so, and I got clean before we had cell phones. So I called people from like train stations, gas stations, bus stations, you know, just all kinds of pay phones all over the place. Um, cause I was panicking. So, um, yeah, that was it. It was, I wasn't going to lose that opportunity. I did too. Get I got sober in 1980, so it was before cell phones. And um, I remember calling my sponsor one time um, when I was sure that I had broken a glass in the sink. Like I was washing my dishes, and my dishes were so cheap, and I was, you know, 24, and um, I broke this glass against the faucet. And I was looking at the glass in the sink thinking, I'm going to cut myself with that glass. And this is sober. And um, I, called my, I called my sponsor. And uh, this was her response. She asked me, she said, what's your best sexual fantasy? <laughs> <laughs> and I told her, I'm not going to say it here now, but I, I told her what my best sexual fantasy was. And she said, is that going to happen today? And I said, not a chance. And she said, neither are you going to cut yourself with that glass. She mm. said, clean it up and then call me back. Because again, there wasn't any way to put <laughs> the phone call and pause. So I hung up, I cleaned up, and then I called her back. And she said, congratulations, you know, same sponsor I called. Um, I don't know that it was the next day, but in the morning and said, I, I just can't go to work today. There are only two things that fit me in my closet. And she said, wear one of the two. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it was always really basic, but I was not there. You know, they talk about like, it takes five years to get your marbles back or to get your head in gear. And it sounds like you had a tough first year. Right. But I want to say to anyone who's doing this, that like, that's why this is a badass warrior journey. It's because we're willing to look bad, feel bad, be uncomfortable and feel lost and stay clean and sober or whatever our, our recovery process is. And um, I like to just say that like every movie you've seen that's a hero's movie, the hero is lost for most of the movie. And that's actually why they're the hero. They're not looking great. They're, it's does not working out. Um, and they're down face down in the mud and they keep going. And that's actually why it's a badass thing. And I was able to see that cause I got sober in the context of a group setting and, um, in a support group. And I could see the beauty in other people's struggle. I could see that they were trying things like one person I knew in that group wanted to go back to college and she was so terrified. And her sponsor was like, why don't you go walk on the campus? It was Union County Union County College in, in New Jersey. She said, go walk on the campus. And the person came back to the meeting the next week. She's like, I walked on the campus, like shaking, you know? And then the person, her, the person helping her said, why don't you get a brochure? And she came back and she's like, I got a brochure. And then they were like, why don't you make an appointment with a guidance counselor? And you know, eventually that person went back to college and graduated and uh, none of it looks great. Um, 
But that that's actually why it's a warrior move. Right. Uh, I just love hearing just the badass warrior journey. That's great. All yeah, right. It is. How about that song? This feels like the right time. Okay. The song is called You Are. You are worth fighting for. You are gonna be all right. You are so much more than you know you are. We feel so ugly when we hurt. But every flower is a seed that broke under the dirt. And we feel so lost when we cry. But our tears paint the path out of the pain when they dry. You are worth fighting for. You are gonna be alright. You are. So much more than you know you are Life rarely walks the line The road through the day's house She twists and she winds We never get to see the map Till we stop, take a break, take a breath and look back So when the darkness comes like it will comes like it may when the darkness comes when the darkness comes after the darkness they'll come the day life says nine times down we get up ten we never give up we just just try again life says nine times Never give up, we just try again. Cause we are worth fighting for. We are gonna be alright. We are so much more than we know. We are so much more than we know. We are so much more than, more than we know we are. I love it. I love how true those lyrics are. Generally, that's what you're going for as a songwriter. Tell yeah. the truth. <laughs> a truth sayer. What are some of the, um, you talked about the girl that was so frightened to go back to college, um, the young woman, um, any other specific people that you've worked with, uh, stories that come to your mind, Kathy, that you'd like to share? Yeah, I mean, we've had a, we worked with a girl a while back, 17, and uh, her best friend had been murdered when she was 16. They were both 16, and they never found, they didn't find the body for a long time. And then when she was a little bit older than that, she was in the car where she owed two people overdose in the car. And um, she was the only one that woke up. And so when we met her in treatment, she did not want to be there. I just mean that in every sense of the word. Yeah. Did not want to be here. Didn't want to um, be on the planet. Didn't want to talk. 
Yeah. Did not want to be on the planet, did not want to be in treatment and did not want to talk about it. Um, but loved music. And first she came in the studio and just sat there while other people were making music and like listened. And then she like sat on the DJ rig and like played with a DJ rig and mixed some songs. And then she grabbed an iPad and she made some beats. And then I was like, Hey, you know, would you like to like write a story about like your life? And <clears throat> you know, she, she sat down and wrote like with me, she, we wrote like five pages of the story of what had happened. None of which she told her therapist, you know? And uh, so we were able to, first of all, I pick, I'm very clear. I'm not a music therapist. I'm a teaching artist and, and I'm very clear about that. I'm a musician, not a clinician, but we partner with clinicians. Um, and I was like, you know, survival guilt, it's a thing. Let's look that up on Wikipedia. Like, here you go, survivor guilt. And then we were able, with her permission, you know, to share all that stuff with her therapist and it broke the door open. So, um, music often we've had so many experiences at times in the studio um working with clients that they've been able to write music about something that they haven't been able to talk about you know we had another kid who had seen his best friend shot in front of him and he felt so guilty about his part in them ending up in that situation and wasn't talking about it you know and he was like i'd give anything not to have heard that gun go blam and uh again he'd never spoken to anybody about it till he talked about it in the studio so music really um opens doors for people. That's what it does for me. It's also like a problem solving tool for me. You know, if I don't know what to do about something, um, I'll often write a song about it. And like in the third verse, I generally figure it out. Um, so I don't know what people do that aren't songwriters. I'm not sure how they function, but, um, so yeah. And for me, it's been a solace and it's been like, it's been a true companion. And it's also a real source of, um, I really like this quote. It says progress is a reliable form of happiness. And having an art that you can practice and get better at, like, I don't care what else is happening in the world. If I sit down and like give my focus and attention to my guitar technique or my vocals or my writing, it will get better. And you could take that to the bank. There's not, there's like, it's an uncertain world. You know, life has not turned out the way I thought it would, but I could take that to the bank. Um, you know, is my guitar playing a little bit better this month than it was last month? Like, that's good, you know? Indeed. Does it ever get to be too much for you? The stories that you're sharing that. Um... Yes. <laughs> Again, do you turn to music? <laughs> I, I, I would say like some of the, you know, I work in a lot of locked, locked psychiatric environments and um, I work with some people that have been really to the edge of sanity and, and past the edge of sanity. And, um, you know, I work with, uh, I, you know, I hear a lot of stories. Um, so I, I, I spent a lot of time in nature. I live in the woods. Um, I spent a lot of time in nature. Um, I, I run and, and I, I observe, I garden and I observe nature super closely. And you could at any given time, find me outside having a long conversation with dragon <laughs> or praising a flower or thanking the sunset or whatever. So, um, I definitely find my higher power in my uh, solace and um, I have to really that's the other thing I think in recovery especially if you're a musician or a creative person we do tend to be more sensitive and really it's the fact of that self-care right like you know, I need a certain amount of time without any people and I need to know I have it that it's coming you know 
um, and I need to be able to be in an environment like I live in a place where there's there's just no lawnmowers or leaf blowers or hedge trimmers or power washers, which I've lived in a space before where like there was noise all the time. And that now it's like right now it's uh, I don't know when this will broadcast right now. It's like the third week in August. The summer bugs are so good right now. The summer bugs are so raucous. I've actually slept out on my porch one night just to be completely enveloped in them. Uh, so, yeah. I, for my recovery, that's another thing to learn. Like I am a sensitive person. I do have to be careful. Like I don't watch television because I can't see violence having grown up with it. I don't appreciate it as an art form, you know? So, um, I do manage the, the uh, input and my surroundings so that I can go do this other work and, um, and can, and continue to protect my uh, tender artist soul. Yes. Beautifully said again, the tender artist soul. Good. Anything that you want to share with the listeners, um, you know, to underscore or underline? I would say one thing just about playing music. Again, the idea that music is good for your recovery um, is that playing a musical instrument is the number one thing that creates brain connectivity. So anyone who has a substance use disorder history or a trauma history, both of those things are very interruptive to the brain. Um, and playing a musical instrument is exponentially shown through functional MRI machine studies. Sorry to sound like a nerd, but I actually love science. Um, that it connects, it creates more connectivity in the brain than anything else. Um, so it's another thing just to say, like, you know, if you want to take up guitar or ukulele uh, or beat making or dance or singing or acting or painting, but musical instruments in particular, because you use both hands, so therefore both sides of the body, both sides of the brain but you're using so many different same time with melody, emotional content, rhythm, um, all of that fine motor skills. So, um, one of my, one of my, my apprentice actually at this time, uh, we met her when she was 15 and she just had an overdose with some cognitive, uh, problems from the overdose. And, um, we were able to get her playing drums every single day. And she, she credits that with giving her her memory back because she had a lot of gaps in her memory. So there's just so many ways in which uh, music is good for your recovery. Um, and I don't want anyone to have the experience I had that some, you know, getting clean, someone says, well, if you want to be in recovery, you probably need to stop playing music. That's baloney. Actually, playing music is one of the best possible things you could do for your recovery. Great. Wonderfully said and wonderfully true. Thank you so much, Kathy. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's great. And um, and we will put in the show notes um, how people get in touch with you, how they find music for recovery. It sounds like institutions and recovery centers hire you as well as individuals. Yep. Yep. And you can, so, and also kathymoser.com or musicfreecovery.com. Both of those you'll get to me. Terrific. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Nancy.
what better way to show your support than by purchasing some of our amazing LTGW merchandise. We have caps, t-shirts, cups, mugs, tumblers, hoodies, wristbands, watch bands, and so much more. 